Welcome back to Questions You Didn't Ask with me, Naisha Frey. Let's get back into the conversation. As we move on, you know, I, I've also done some research and um, about, you know, especially as African-Americans and um, people in the Southeast, but generally speaking, African-Americans, you know, we are very spiritual and religious people. <laughs> I mean, you'll find folks who are like, you know, I'm not Christian. I don't go to church or, you know, whatever, but they have some sort of spiritual or religious identity or grounding, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people are starting to acknowledge, you know, that even more traditional African spirituality is more aligned with who they are or Rastafarian or whoever, you know, some, you know, there's a large Muslim community. So when I speak about spiritual and religious, you know, I'm not being narrow in terms of Christianity, even though I am a Christian. Mm -hmm. I recognize the powerful place of spiritual leaders and have been fortunate to work with faith communities around issues like HIV and AIDS. And it was actually one of the most attractive qualities um, of the church that I attend, Christian Faith Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. You all are welcome to um, join us <laughs> on Sunday or, you know, virtually plug for my church. Um, <laughs> but I recognize that it takes a lot of courage for spiritual leaders and a lot of maturity for spiritual communities um, to address things like sex and sexuality and HIV and, you know, sexually transmitted diseases. So in your experience, I mean, both professionally and personally, however you want to address this, Mm -hmm. What part does the spiritual and religious community have in shaping the sexual and reproductive health circumstances of African-Americans? Wow. <laughs> I got quiet because when you asked that, it gave me chills. <laughs> mm. um, because there's a pro and there's a con mm -hmm. or should I say pros and cons <laughs> um, because there's there are different faiths different, mm -hmm. as you mentioned um, so I, I love to just talk about myself so there's no um, there's no mistake <laughs> mm -hmm. so just just talking about me me um, Alicia being a person who also claims Christianity and of going to a non-denominational um, church. So I'm a member of Destiny in Greensboro, North yes. Carolina. <laughs> Pastor Lee Stokes. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, nonetheless, um, we all know that in a lot of faiths, it's always talk talked about um, marriage before sex. Uh-huh. Marriage before sex. And in today's time, with sexuality and even when we talk about STDs those conversations are really not had mm -hmm. they're just not had mm -hmm. and there are not many churches when they do discuss those things over the pulpit or within the church that they don't blame the person's actions for things that are happening to them as far as um contracting STDs. Mm -hmm. So the church plays a role 
by being the church is a, a hospital for the hurting. Mm. That's what the church is. But when the hurting goes there, the hurting seems to have to be in a particular category to get healed. Mm-hmm. And it's no bus on the church, but we as believers are human beings. And mm-hmm. when the church doesn't have the education that many of us have mm-hmm. who are doing this work within HIV and advocacy, they mm-hmm. don't know how to show the love and the healing that mm-hmm. our God actually charged us to do. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, the church plays a huge role, but not being role models. Mm. unfortunately not being role models when it comes to sex and sexuality because it's point blank Mm -hmm. marriage first one way to do it even though times are changing been changed can we say that been changed been (laughs) changed and i do understand we all have our traditions we all have yes. our beliefs and we all understand and know based on your relationship now i'm a person that talk with hands so y'all right i wish y'all don't yeah see, don't don't see my face right now but it's not religion so i don't have religion i have mm. relationship that is what it is about. So Christianity, while that name has been created, Christianity is Christ light. And because I do believe in Christ and the finished work, that makes me a Christian. Mm-hmm. But I have a relationship with the God that I serve. Mm-hmm. And the relationship that I had told me to love my brother and my sister. Speak. So while I am a heterosexual cisgender woman, I am a partner with my transgender brother or sister, LGBTQ community, even though I may not practice my life the way that they do. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is that my God told me that they are his children too. Mm Mm-hmm. So what that means to me is my mother birthed one, two, three, four girls. I am the oldest girl. And if one, somebody hurts one of my sisters, I'm going for them, mm-hmm. period. So I'm not saying I'm going to go out there and fight the world right. for, for the trans sister or the trans brother, LGBTQ. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that Though I do go to church, I love my church family. I love the word and I understand what the word is saying. But what I do pull out of the word is love. Mm -hmm. And how can I help to educate reproductive justice, sexuality, education, all of that under the umbrella to the community if I don't walk in love? Mm -hmm. And the only way for Alicia to connect to one of my brothers and sisters in the community with God is to show them love first, regardless to my biases, Mm. regardless to how I feel, regardless to how I practice in my faith. I have to put my love for God first and my love for people first. 
Mm-hmm. If I don't do that, I'm going to lose them. If I put first, mm-hmm. okay, well, I don't believe that men should be sleeping with men. I don't believe that um, that man dressed in a dress should be doing that. Oh, I don't. If I do all of that, I am going to completely lose them, and I will not be able to educate them on how to prevent contracting HIV if they don't have it or how to help them say yes or no when it comes to sexual acts or anything. I cannot help them if I'm judging them. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm not even on, I was going to say, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I don't mm-hmm. apologize for not mm-hmm. coming, for not bringing my answer very um, scientific mm-hmm. or very scholarly mm-hmm. because I speak, um, based on the way that God created Lalisha to speak. <laughs> and mm. and I like to keep it real. I That's really what this just is like about. to keep it real. Mm-hmm. And, and in order for me, when I went to school for social work, and then I transferred over to public health, mm-hmm. and I made a decision to apply for jobs where I would be reaching the community, my mm-hmm. prayer was, how can I be the best leader that I could be? If I have these biases and Mm. I have this blockage in my head and my heart and Mm. my eyes and God strictly said to me in plain English, loud as I hear my voice right now, Mm. they are my children too. Mm. And that's all I needed. That's all I needed. Mm. That's how sensitive my heart is. That's how much love I have in my heart. I don't care what you do. That's your business. You do whatever you need to do. But if I see that you're going in a direction that's causing Mm -hmm. you harm, and I have some information that's going to help you steer yourself in a different direction, that maybe can save you some. And I don't mean save, like spiritually save, but I mean physically save you, mentally save Mm -hmm. you, emotionally save you. Mm -hmm. Then I am going to put past whatever feelings I have, whatever beliefs I have to help you in that way. Mm -hmm. So that's what I feel like our church is missing. Mm -hmm. We don't walk in love. We make everything personal. Mm. It ain't person. It ain't about you and your four walls. It's mm. not about you. It's not about you. So you rather see the young man or the young woman whose family said, get out and stay away from me because they said, mommy, daddy, whatever. I like men. I like women and they're female or a, a same gender loving person. Well, I like this person. I like this way. And their family shoot them away. You rather shoot them away too because of the way you feel. You rather see them lost in the streets and mm-hmm. unloved instead of embracing them and educating them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting a, l- a little bit passionate right now. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, but but I, I don't really know how to answer that without my face being the way it is right now Mm -hmm. and, and and coming out the way that I have come out Um, because I do love, I love my spirituality. I love Mm -hmm. my relationship. I do love the church. I just don't like how God gets a bad rap because man, human beings are in their own flesh. It is not Mm. God because God loves everyone. God does not like the sin or the God doesn't like the sin. And if I eat 
overeat, that's gluttony, which is a sin. And if mm -hmm. I sit back with my homegirl and talk bad about some other person, that's a sin too. So mm -hmm. there's no level of sin. Either way, we're all sinners, but mm -hmm. we're all called to love one another and to uplift our brother and our sister in the wall. Mm -hmm. So that's all I'm trying to do. I'm going to calm down for a minute. Preach. <laughs> she said it here, y'all. She Whew. gave a word. So there, there's, um, there's a quote that I love by Cornell West. And he says, you can't lead the people if you don't love the people. Right. You can't save the people if you don't serve the people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that this is much like uh, where there's a scripture that says, I'm going to get it wrong, but, um, you know, God says, love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Um. God didn't say love your heterosexual cisgender. Um, <laughs> you know, he didn't put any right. qualifiers on it. He right. just said whoever is beside you, whoever is your right. neighbor, whoever you come into contact with, mm -hmm. please love them. Right? right. And then he also said, you know, how can you love God whom you've never seen mm -hmm. and yet not love your brother and sister who's right there next to you? Exactly. So I think that you're, and I know that that's not, I know pastors and spiritual family, y'all might be getting on me because I ain't say to recite the scripture exactly perfect, but you know which one I'm talking about. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, so I definitely feel you on this whole, you know, um, spiritual discussion. And one of the reasons why I called you in to have this conversation is because I knew that you would be honest. I knew that you <laughs> would be passionate. I knew that you would speak. Uh, from your heart and share gems and jewels that would be healing to other people to hear. One thing that I really want to be explicit about, though, is what does it mean to lose people if you don't approach the community with love? Mm. What does that look like? Wow. Trust. Um, when, wow, the first word came to my mind was trust. I talked in the beginning about my trauma coming up as a child. And because of trauma, we um, we tend to put up walls and mm -hmm. we don't trust people, especially when certain people trust, um, certain people hurt us and especially mm -hmm. certain types of people hurt us. Even if we want to talk about church hurt. Um, and this conversation isn't just about church. So we're not bashing um, church at all for our mm -hmm. listeners, but just talking about trust. Um, so if I'm already hurting because of trauma that I, the trauma that I have endured in my life or whatever that trauma is, and I decide, I make a decision, I take a deep breath and I'm like, you know what? I'm so over this and I need some help. I'm going to go to you, my person at the church, my person at a case manager, a doctor, mm -hmm. another advocate, whoever you are, I'm going to go to you because I need some help. Mm -hmm. And then this person decides to reject them because of a bias or they don't choose to receive this person in love. 
then that's an example of losing them because this person put their guard down for a moment because they're reaching out for love or acceptance or somebody to listen. Mm -hmm. Or even if we talk about suicide, they may be in that moment about to commit suicide or make a decision, but Mm -hmm. they take that one step. I'm, you know what, this one time, let me try one more time to reach out to somebody before I Mm -hmm. do this. But that person, because they went by their fleshly feelings or they're going by whatever, they're looking at this person, judging them and their personal feelings are coming outward. And this other person knows that and receives that. You have lost that person because you're judging them, outwardly, Mm -hmm. blatantly judging them. And can we so, just say yeah. that you don't have to say judgmental words for that person to feel judged? Exactly. It's body language. Body language is everything. And I know for me, I am a facial person. Mm-hmm. It is so, I have learned to really train myself to not respond with my face. hmm And it's difficult for some people, Mm -hmm. but in the work that I have done over the years and me being a professional person and a leader, it's important. Mm -hmm. It is important to not judge and not use my facial expression to speak. Mm -hmm. I have done that in the past and hurt people and I didn't mean to. It's just Mm. that my, my face spoke before my mouth did. Mm-hmm. And I have been approached like Alicia, the way that you looked. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't. And then mm. I'm also a waterhead. So I cry like if oh. something really affects me. Right. And, and if you tell me I hurt you and that wasn't my intention, I'm emotional and I feel bad because that was not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have to really work on trying to win your trust back. And that's a lot of work right there. So, Mm. um, yeah, so all that to say, yes, we have to be very, very mindful that people may be fragile. And even Mm. if it's that person that you say, well, they got an attitude. And every time I see them, why does that person seem to be agitated and upset? Mm. Have you even stopped to ask them what's wrong and how they're doing Mm. to even understand why? Mm-hmm. They're responding like that. Well, they're always quiet and they got their head down. Did you ever stop and ask them what's wrong or ask them how they're doing today mm-hmm. or just talk to them? We don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We're disconnected as a people. Mm-hmm. We are completely disconnected. We're disconnected, yes, because then we talked earlier about being able to really reach people more with mm-hmm. um, um, internet access and stuff like that. But while that's good, there's a time to separate that though. So Mm -hmm. for instance, when we're out in public, so maybe at the airport, there's so many people whose heads are down because we're on the phone. Well, we don't take the time when we're sitting next to a person and say, hey, how are you today? Mm -hmm. Where are you going? Where are you on your way to? You know, that that person could have, you know, like when my father passed in April. Right. And you know, I was on my way, you know, going up north mm. or something. And it mm-hmm. was hard going back to Philly, even though my father was here in North Carolina. It was still hard going back to Philly because that's where we're from. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I think I spoke to somebody, somebody talked to me and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, yeah, you know, I'm going back to Philadelphia for dot, dot, dot. And yeah, my father passed away, you know, last month. And, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, thank you. And just that conversation felt good. Mm. It wasn't about, I wasn't looking for, you mm-hmm. know, somebody to feel sorry for me. It was right. just that we had conversation. So all that to say, we are very disconnected people because we have our technology and we don't talk to one another anymore. Mm. And we don't know that that small conversation can mean the world to somebody that day. Mm-hmm. We don't hug because the pandemic has caused us to give people their personal space because we don't want to get sick or we don't want to make somebody else sick. But sometimes mm-hmm. people need a hug. Some mm-hmm. people need a fist bump. Some people need <laughs> a elbow rub. Like, come on. <laughs> right. So, okay. Yeah, I'm going I'm to bring it in. No, you're doing good. I mean, that it, we're talking about how our community helps each other heal. Um, yeah. how we call each other in. Um, yeah. We talked about that in our last series mm-hmm. um, and what the implications are for those when they are not receiving that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I appreciate you going there with this. And I'm yeah. sure many of our listeners um, have had similar thoughts, but we oftentimes need to touch and agree. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to revisit these things as refreshers. Um, to remember how our actions affect other people or our inaction affects other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we're thinking about that, what were the resources you drew on or were made available to you so that you could face and overcome stigma related to HIV, um, especially in the African-American community? Hmm. Well, for me, um, so I was diagnosed, well, it's been 21 years now. Mm-hmm. And that was a time when we still had pamphlets. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I even had a pamphlet created for me. So I had like my own pamphlet in the health department and it was my story. So I was like, wow. Yeah, it's like, hey, cool. I still have it somewhere tucked away. But um, to answer your question, my resources were like, pamphlets because pamphlets had a lot of information in it Mm. when I got diagnosed I was given a lot of pamphlets that had information on HIV and um, some of the pamphlets did have people on it that looked like me Mm. Um, then then there was um, HIV.gov before it was HIV.gov it was AIDS.gov I believe Mm. so we were still using AIDS instead of Mm -hmm. HIV Mm -hmm. Um, and then there was the pause magazine um there wasn't, internet wasn't as, for me, it wasn't as um, wide as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did a lot of research on cdc.gov. And for me, I was already one of those inquisitive people and I, mm-hmm. and I already had some information under my belt. But to kind of like stay encouraged and, you know, stay afloat, and to be related or connected to the African-American community, it was the community itself. Mm. It was actually the community itself. Um, so CBOs, um, 
community-based organizations or aid service organizations, mm-hmm. local aid service organizations. That's where I got my information from. And mm-hmm. then being connected to other people living with HIV who were there, which actually was the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. because there were no there were, for me at the time, there were no heterosexual Black women there. Uh-huh. There were Black lesbian women there. There were gay men there. Um, from what I remember, I had not been exposed to trans community at the time. So I'm just really thinking back. But my community was my information. My community um, helped me to get educated more um, than what I had already had. They also helped me to embrace the fact that this is a part of my life. Mm. Um, They helped me to learn how to talk to other people in the community because my background with HIV was that I loved into HIV. Mm. But the the stories that I was hearing was, well, I was an IV drug user or I was a sex worker or, Mm -hmm. you know, it was those stories and that wasn't my narrative. Mm -hmm. So literally I felt like I I wasn't a part. I felt Mm -hmm. like I was different from everybody. And they helped me realize that even though my story is different, it's still the same story. Mm -hmm. I'm still a person living with HIV. I'm still a person with trauma. I'm still a person that's broken trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm -hmm. So really the community was my resources. Um, And as I grew in this work and as access to resources grew, then I was able to connect to resources or should I say organizations more on a national and global level Mm -hmm. so that's where um, some of the other organizations that um, that I'm connected to became a part of my life such as um, like Positive Women's Network USA Mm. Um, gosh um, the Well Project Um, and these are organizations that are um, women base um, or for mm-hmm. organizations for anyone who identifies as women and other organizations like the Black AIDS um, Institute and then POTSHA, the Presidential Advisory Council on HIV. Mm-hmm. So all of those things, the CERO project, it's just so many that became a part of my life that helped me to get access so that I could share that access with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And thanks for shouting out such wonderful organizations. I'm probably going to steal that list from you. If you all have been following um, questions you didn't ask and Naisha Frey Consulting LLC on social media, you know that we do feature Fridays to support organizations that are um, a reflection of our values and the communities that we hope to um, positively impact and uplift. So I may take that list of Positive Women's Network USA, the mm-hmm. Well Project, the Black AIDS mm-hmm. Institute, and you said the CERO Project. Is that right? Yes. Yes. The CERO Project. That's S-E-R-O. Okay. Awesome. There's there's um, several more. I'm going to give another one. Um, it's called ICW, which is actually International Community of Women Living with HIV. Awesome. 
that's a global organization. So it's also within the United States as well as globally in Africa and other um, other countries. Wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I think that you touched on something that I think makes your story um, very relevant for me um, in that mm-hmm. a lot of, not all of, but a lot of the work that I did in HIV was focused on African-American women. And I was also very curious about, um, you know, heteros- the heterosexual community in the United States as it relates to HIV Um you know, we talk about stigma around HIV, especially in the United States, but globally, um, it tends to lead people down the road of considering our LGBTQ plus community. Um, and what's interesting is that the heterosexual community is also very much affected and impacted by HIV and AIDS, including heterosexual men. Um, but they are not usually talked about. Um, they're not usually discussed in the frame of what HIV and AIDS looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. they tend to still be very much on the, um, periphery, um, of the discussion, um, oftentimes outside of the primary scope of, uh, decision makers. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I also recognize that there is stigma associated with heterosexual men, um, and HIV, because there is the presumption uh, based on some of the, um, you know, cultural false narratives that were created that if you're if you're a man and you have HIV, then you must have had some sort of heterosexual, same gender type of sexual interaction to acquire it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my lecture, I oftentimes share how that assumption is not made in other parts of the country, other parts of the world, specifically in um, sub-Saharan Africa, where it is primarily transmitted through heterosexual um, interaction. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to our audience about your HIV experience from the perspective of the heterosexual community living with HIV? Well, what I am finding, I'll talk about our um, heterosexual men they feel like they are being left behind. And this is what I have heard, um, because I definitely don't want to speak for them. Um, But in previous conversations, that that is what I have heard, how our heterosexual men feel left behind when it comes to the conversation of HIV and HIV prevention and thriving as well. Um, And... And speaking with some of them, many of our heterosexual men don't want to be classified as gay men Mm -hmm. because, you know, HIV, before it was HIV, when it was GRID or when it was, you know, the gay man's disease or gay man's cancer, I mean, AIDS was was always um, centered around just gay men. So there was no narrative for the heterosexual, Mm -hmm. let alone the heterosexual man. Mm -hmm. So when people hear people who are uneducated about this movement and they hear AIDS or HIV, they automatically think of drugs or gay. Mm -hmm. And that's where some of the heterosexual men don't want to be categorized. But some of our heterosexual men are now stepping up to talk about their narrative 
and have their voices heard. I know last February, yeah, I think it was last year in February. Um, it may have been the year before last. Um, I did a talk um, with the Black AIDS Institute or under the Black AIDS Institute to have a platform for our heterosexual men. Mm-hmm. And that was the conversation. So mm-hmm. I invited a couple of um, Black heterosexual men and asked a few questions and the conversation was amazing. Mm-hmm. So from there, um, I was connected with a few who have some private groups on Facebook mm-hmm. um, for heterosexual men and they have their own community. They have conversations, they do events. Mm-hmm. And now there's more talk about that. Mm-hmm. So there's um, heterosexual men's table talks and you know all of those things are now going on. But what we as heterosexual women find is that we do a lot of supporting of everyone. But when it comes to us individually talking about heterosexual women, we don't get the same support from our heterosexual sister to men. And again, we do understand that because of the self-stigma. So many of us have self-stigma. Mm. Um, that we're trying to work through and that's where we come together as a unit and try to help one another get through we have to stop the self-stigma in order to stop the stigma itself Mm -hmm. Um, so the conversations for heterosexual people are coming um coming up more um especially with the heterosexual men Mm -hmm. i recently just had a a virtual conversation on the importance of including black and brown cisgender women in research. Mm. And and that conversation was centered around um, women, cisgender women who participate in research. Like Mm -hmm. when it comes to research, research originally was just set up for um, our white counterparts from white men, period. Mm-hmm. So hence medications having side effects and women having a lot of side effects when it comes to medication. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are side effects when women were not a part of studies for the medications before they came out and got approved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these are conversations that we are now coming together to just intentionally, unapologetically have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that's really something that I feel like all of us as a collective need to have. It's not about excluding any community at mm-hmm. all because mm-hmm. everybody wants to be heard. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned all the different letters within the community, if you have a conversation and it's centered on that one community, you have another saying, hey, well, why, are you, why, why aren't you talking about us? have your conversation it's not to Mm. exclude but it is to discuss everything it's Mm. like right now we're talking about hiv but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean next week uh, um, we included roe roe v wade Mm -hmm. next week that you're not talking about um balancing your checkbook right so it's like we have to takes you have to take time to make space for mm-hmm. everyone so i feel like that's what people are starting to do now mm-hmm. um but do it intentionally and unapologetically yes yes thank you so much you know about you know sometimes we have to you know we feel ourselves being excluded there are a number of questions 
that we can ask to help interrogate the situation, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, one is what's stopping me from having my own conversation about my community and my experience, you know? And I think that that's a really important question. Um, I think, you know, you also brought up a very important point related to, you know, the advocacy of Black women being concerned, being the mothers of the world and therefore concerned about the world, right? And we'd be ready to fight too. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes the mothers of the world, and when I say that, I'm referring to, um, you know, that humanity, uh, <laughs> the first humans were, um, and, you know, were from the African continent. And um, therefore, the first mother was an African Black woman. Um, and we carry that DNA with us to this day. So we are literally mothers of the world. So, but we don't always get the same love in return. And I think that when we look at kind of the, the symbolism or in some of the caricatures or uh, the archetypal symbol of mother, that tends to happen, right? In human relationships and family dynamics. Um, but it's not necessarily a good thing. It's not necessarily healthy, right? So, um, you know, one of the things that I think about is not just like, how do we um, create community for the sake of, you know, being able to be healthy emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, but also relationally. Okay. So, you know, we're talking about um, especially Black heterosexual women, um, you in particular, but not exclusively. Um, mm -hmm. And the relationship between that advocacy, political advocacy, um, and heterosexual communities and, and other communities. Um, what, how do you think HIV, just to kind of put it on a different tone of relational stuff, right? How in this current climate, how does HIV affect the love life and sexual practices of those living with HIV? Like, you know, we don't talk about it a lot. I know I'm, you know, you and I are of a very, the very same generation, you know, we're in a space where I think age-wise, you know, people have a different attitude about dating. They have a different attitude about safer sex practices, whether that's using a condom consistently, whether that's um, uh, getting tested with your partner or knowing your partner's status. As you get older, some of those things, the culture and the expectations change as opposed to what they were in our 20s. Um, in our what, what, I, what I remember in our 20s and even in our teens HIV growing up with it meant that it was a part of our consciousness and our communication on some level, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, that young folks are just as vibrant and, you know, um, sexually active and exploring and all this other stuff, but it's not as prevalent. HIV is not as prevalent in the discussion in the larger popular media and communications. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, um, how does HIV affect the love life and sexual practices of those living with HIV at this time? 
I will say we have sex and we like having sex. There you go. Period. Period. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's important to say because people think that when they have these types of, and and I'm sure that there's a process, right? But people think that that when they have these types of life-changing diagnoses, that Mm -hmm. all of that is going to end and it's going to go away. So I'm just adding that little piece and I'm going to let you roll. Tell tell us in our audience, what is that like? Yes, because I've heard people say, you know, once they found out, you know, that Alicia is living with HIV, she still has sex. You know, like I I had a boyfriend and it's like, oh my gosh, she still has sex. She could still do that. And it's like literally like, An HIV diagnosis does not mean that your reproductive system or your sexual organs completely break or disappear. Mm -hmm. Nothing changes. Your feelings are still there. And you can love. You deserve love. Mm -hmm. And you are supposed to love. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it again for everybody that's hearing. We have two appendages on the side of our head and they are called ears. So I'm going to say it again. People living with HIV deserve love. Mm. (laughs) We deserve love. And I'm saying it like that because I remember, and I'm going to answer all of this question. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm -mm. I remember when I thought I was nasty and dirty Mm. and yucky and I hated myself. And I thought, Alicia, you're smarter than this. How you get caught up like this? Oh, and I'm the nasty girl. And then all the rejections that I got from Mm. my male counterparts. Oh, you got that thing? Ooh, no, I can't mess with you. Or, oh, I'll put on two condoms to hit it. And, you know, just silly Mm. stuff, you know, and... Then when I started to embrace this as a part of my life Mm -hmm. and I stretched out and I started to see people who look like me, who are living with HIV, Mm -hmm. other women, other males, Mm -hmm. and saw they were getting married. Mm -hmm. They were having children who were born without HIV. Mm -hmm. That means a woman who was living with HIV and a male who was living with HIV was still able to conceive a child who was Mm -hmm. born without HIV because of the miraculous medication that they were taking that helped their baby be born without it. Love is still there. We deserve to have that love. Love is important. We need touch. We need hugs. We need dates. We literally, before the pandemic started, the COVID-19 pandemic, we would go to conferences, HIV conferences, leadership conferences, Mm -hmm. and we would hug one another. And sometimes you may hear somebody say, oh, you just gave me 10 Mm. T-cells. And that will be in a hug. So for our listeners that don't know what T-cells are, Mm. CD4, CD4, everyone has a CD4 count T helper cells. Every person has it with or without HIV. What I like to call them to help people understand is they are your soldiers Mm -hmm. that fight off infection. 
So when a person living with HIV, for me, if I go hug, if I go hug you right now and you hug me back, I'm going to say, oh, you just gave me 10 T cells. So you just built up my soldiers and my mm. body. That's really positive energy. Mm-hmm. You just gave me positive energy. It takes positive energy to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. It takes love to stay afloat. It takes acceptance mm-hmm. to stay afloat. And yeah. that's what everybody needs. It doesn't matter if you have HIV. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with depression. It doesn't matter if you have sickle cell anemia, if you have cancer, diabetes. It doesn't matter. Hugs, love, sex, all of that. Everybody needs it. Mm-hmm. What, what we do, mm-hmm. people who are living with HIV, yeah, a lot of people use condoms. Yes, some people don't. Because there is a thing called U equals U, Mm -hmm. which for people who don't know, if you're taking your medication, you're living with HIV, you're taking your medication and you're undetectable, which means you're untransmittable. You're not able to transmit the HIV virus because the medication is suppressing that virus. You're unable to transmit it to your partners through sex. So Alicia... 20 year, 21 years thriving with HIV. I've been undetectable for too many years to count. If I make mm. a decision to have condomless, and we like to say condomless without a condom, if I have condomless sex with a male partner, because I do love my men, mm-hmm. my males, my sister mm-hmm. males, if I decide to have <laughs> condomless sex with a man, I cannot pass this virus on to him because my medication is suppressing that virus. Mm -hmm. So that's something that some people make a decision to do. And there are new laws all over the place. Some states have have HIV specific laws. Mm -hmm. Some states don't. And Mm -hmm. what I will just say in trying to answer this question without being all over the place is that... (laughs) (laughs) We just try to educate people on the safest ways to prevent contracting any sexually transmitted disease because we kind of center on HIV, but you don't talk about herpes. Mm. You can wear a condom. Mm. You can wear a condom, somebody who has HIV and don't contract HIV, but you Mm -hmm. can contract herpes. And if they have crabs and Mm. you didn't turn on the lights and look at their pubic Mm -hmm. hairs or at their genitals, you don't Mm -hmm. know if they have if they have um, genital lice. So you don't know if they have crabs down there. There's Mm. other STDs. So we don't talk about those. But everybody is so afraid of HIV Mm -hmm. where HIV is so well managed nowadays. But Mm -hmm. then syphilis is on the rise Mm. herpes is on the rise gonorrhea is on the rise but with some of these things you could get a shot or you could just take some medicine and people Mm -hmm. don't really want to talk about that but people with hiv get so crucified Mm -hmm. when it comes to sex so all of this sex sexuality hiv sexually transmitted diseases they're all up under the same umbrella everyone So we need to talk about them and we need to understand that people living with HIV look just like you. 
pick up the mirror. If you on a phone mm. right now and the phone is near you, open the phone, open your camera, turn it around to look at yourself. You want to mm. know what HIV looks like? It looks exactly like you. Mm. You have mm. no idea what HIV looks like. It doesn't look like what we saw in the 80s, in the late 90s or the early 90s. HIV looks glamorous and beautiful like I do. So if you need a picture of me, I'm sure you'll get a picture of me because I am brown and beautiful, the queen that I am. (laughs) I love it. Go, go, go. But I just just had to say that because I want people Mm -hmm. to loosen up. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, yes, I was sad and a lot of people were sad and depressed. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I recall people who committed suicide when they received Mm -hmm. the diagnosis. But HIV isn't a death sentence. Mm -hmm. You can have sex with HIV. You can get married with HIV. You can have children. You don't have to just adopt children. Mm -hmm. People can conceive. Mothers can breastfeed. There's a movement going on right now. You know, um, uh, gosh, I'm going to look it up and and I'm going to look it up and make sure you get that information. Mm -hmm. But there's a movement going on for our our millennial mothers, Mm. our, our mothers who are of birthing age, and they're fighting to be able to breastfeed their children. Mm. Breast is best. That's mm-hmm. what I learned when I had children. Breast mm-hmm. is best. And people with HIV are being told, you can't breastfeed. You can't this. You can't that. There's no protection for us because we're considered nasty and stigmatizing, but we're mm. not. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're people of love and we love sex and we can have it and we deserve it. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Later, I think your DM's about to be blowing up, girl, because she is cute, y'all. She cute. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and I'm saying that as a sister, not, uh, this is not anything right. other than that. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Questions You Didn't Ask, with me, Naisha Frey. Tune in next week as our conversation continues.